0: Hello, you're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. My name is Hayden Taylor, and this week I am joined by...
1: Brendan Sinclair. Uh,
0: Chris Uh Both James and Rebecca are away this week, so I have the uh, dubious honour of hosting this episode, so you'll have to forgive it for being a much less refined and much more clumsy affair without any of the, sort of the usual sort of sleek charm you expect from the other two hosts. But um, let's just dive <laughs> straight into it. Yeah, I know um yeah let's just dive straight into it i think the perhaps the biggest story the one that everyone's talking about this week is uh phil spencer's comments that microsoft is doesn't really see its uh doesn't see its main competition as sony and nintendo anymore but rather amazon and google which i know chris you've got very strong opinions and a lot to say about this so how about you lead off the conversation here
2: so phil spencer's referring to the fact that um uh xbox uh sort of google saying that it wants to reach i don't know six billion seven billion whatever made up number they've come up with this week um they're saying they want to reach that many gamers and um in that sense because xbox saying the same thing google saying the same thing in that sense they are sort of you know competing on that front and um uh, you know they're they, they strategically they are saying the same thing so strategically competitors, but i don't but I, and i hopefully i don't think i don't think phil spencer thinks this at all um uh, because um they, it, it's cobblers, uh because people, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of I'm sort of losing my my track of thought already. trying to work out which which bit I'm going to take issue with first? So it's um, an interesting quote from Ken Moss actually when we interviewed him at XO19 last year about what you need to sort of build a a cloud gaming s- system. And he said basically you need to have a good service, you need to have um you need to have a a, a good infrastructure. Um, uh, uh, you need to have, and you need to have, so- you need to have good games. Right? That's what you need. Those are the three things you need. You need to have the software, you need to have the service, and you need to have the infrastructure. Now, Xbox, in that regard, is actually in a really great position. There's a reason why we said this before. They've got, they've got Azure, so they've got the infrastructure, and they've got the technology, and they've got all the things you need to build a powerful games streaming system. They've got Xbox Live and Game Pass, so they have the service, they have the platform. And they've got like a back catalog of games. They've got 15 game studios making stuff and all that kind of thing. Now, that puts them in a really, really great position. But as something else that Ken Moss from EA said, um, Ken Moss from EA said, was that um, uh, you don't actually need to own all those things. Obviously, it's harder to acquire games and get, the, get a big back catalogue of games, and, but it's actually not that difficult to build your own, you know, to, to buy or acquire a partner with a cloud gaming infrastructure provider. And I'll give you the best example of this is Netflix. Netflix actually doesn't own its own, Netflix uses Amazon Web Services. For its for its distribution of its of its cloud, Sony is using Azure. So when Phil Spencer says, and if I can get the quote up, he says um, he basically says that um, Sony aren't in the best position because Sony and Nintendo aren't in the best position because you know we've got um uh, uh, we've got uh, the infrastructure in place and that kind of stuff. Well, Sony actually has the same infrastructure, the exact same infrastructure that Xbox is using in Azure. What PlayStation have that Google don't have. Our games, loads and loads and loads of games. And if they wanted to, they could switch into producing uh, a service that's compat- compatible with Game Pass almost overnight if it wanted to. It could just go, right, we're putting all our games into Game into PlayStation now, and suddenly Xbox has a big competitor. I don't see Google. Google can't do that. They don't have the content. The content's the important thing. That's the stuff that makes Nintendo and PlayStation more of a rival to Xbox than Google. Google's got some servers at the moment, and you know it's building a service. I'm not saying Google isn't a competitor. It's just I don't think they're number one competitor. I don't think they're the biggest threat to Xbox at this point in time. Um, and uh, and I think Spencer knows that. I kind of viewed it as a bit of a flex, you know, sort of showing off. These are all the things that we've got, and we don't really view PlayStation as a competitor because it doesn't have this. And and the truth is, though, PlayStation is the competitor. You know, PlayStation's got an online streaming service bigger than anyone at the moment. So the idea that you know trying to position a bigger company as the competitor, I, I, yeah. I've, I've, I've waffled around that really badly. But, but, my, but it was, a, it was a something that I read and I just thought, car, oh, you can't think that, Phil. You've always said it's content. Interestingly, the only thing that I think is interesting is the bit about the 7 billion, you know, talking about wanting to reach every gamer in the world with its content. And I think that's a really complicated question. I, Xbox isn't showing that many signs of actually trying to do that. Google is with YouTube, trying to YouTube integration with Stadium and stuff they're talking about. I don't know if a subscription service for video games... Is going to suddenly open up the market to billions and billions of games. I think working out that business model is going to be really difficult, um, and I don't know anyone's got a solution to it at the moment. So um, it, it's it's uh, I've sort of not really gone around in circles, but I just I can't I, you can't say that a, a, a competitor that has the technology but not the content is is a bigger rival than than a competitor that's been that's a number one in the market right now and B has got you know 25 years of, of games. And well like you poppies. said,
1: Sony's using uh Microsoft's infrastructure anyways, right? So mm. if Sony dominates, Microsoft comes along for the ride.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's great. You know, like Amazon benefits from Netflix's success. That's you know, it's, it's a weird world. But yeah, it's um I i just um I I looked like Spencer trying to brush off the idea that you know, make them say Xbox look bigger than Sony. Their their eyes are on a bigger prize. And I think that's I I think rhetorically, you know, the way they're talking about it, what they're saying versus what Sony's saying, that might be true. Um, But actually, I don't think that's the reality of it at all. And I think he knows that.
0: The thing is, though, like, based on what we've seen from what what very, admittedly, very little we've seen from the PS5, like, it's just a bigger, faster, shinier box than the one before. And I feel like Microsoft is the only kind of big, big game Uh, big gaming company out there at the moment that is kind of looking a little bit bigger picture, like, I I know you've said that PlayStation Now is the uh, what is it, it the most subscribed uh, sort of cloud streaming service, did you say, Chris? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, I mean, yeah it's it's really not part of like sony's broader mo or focus though is it like they're pretty quiet about it despite its success whereas yeah. microsoft is clearly like they are pushing this as like the thing that they are doing the thing that sets them apart and if that's mainly just like good messaging currently that makes it appear like microsoft is kind of the dominant player in the space but i do i kind of see where he's coming because i think i think he's he's looking like big picture long term i feel like it's like he's going to ride his little hubris ship into the rocks of failure if he kind of keeps on thinking like that but i do see i I kind of understand where the mentality of it comes from because it's like it's not about big boxes with big fancy hardware in them now it's like it's about being able to get games on your phone anywhere in the world Mm. and that's something which microsoft has kind of staked the last two or three years yeah. on really in a way that sony just hasn't
2: yeah and I, I actually think no i think i think you're right and i think this actually comes down to two things one you're right partly about messaging xbox is talking about this playstation's doing it already you know it, but in a more muted way because playstation now has been around for ages they bought on live or the assets from on live they bought gaikai they have the previous streaming technology playstation have invested in this but you're right xbox is banking everything on it and playstation and this is comes down to the second thing so part of it messaging part of it is actually the ability to take a risk xbox kind of don't have anything to lose they are and they're in last place they've been beaten by they've been beaten by sony they've already been they've taken been taken out in terms of pure hard, in terms of the hardware race they've been beaten by sony they've been overtaken by nintendo so suddenly you, you know from an xbox perspective they you know they're in last place we they're going to throw everything at this future idea of streaming and this kind of stuff and playstation in a position where you know, actually, we're making loads of money off the business model as it is now. Why would we damage that? Why would we launch a subscription service like Game Pass when we're selling loads of Spider Man boxes? You know, that's, 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 and as a result, PlayStation are being a little bit more careful in terms of, you know, they're putting Horizon Zero Dawn into Game Pass, uh, into PlayStation now they've done that in the last six months they're they're doing games later they're they're delaying things but they're not quite ready to do day and date yet but but the thing is playstation if that looks like that's the movement of stuff if that looks like where the market's heading playstation can make that switch very quickly it's not like it's going to require a drastic change in there and and this is part of the reason jim ryan actually said to us last year this whole restructure that we questioned we questioned the reason behind the restructure and he said it's so that they can make decisions like this quicker so if it does turn out that everyone wants a subscription service, people don't want to spend $60 on individual products anymore. They can sort of make that decision internally and make it happen very quickly. And they've already got the subscription service going. Uh, they've already got an audience for it. They've got some amazing games. And this is what and there's a result of it, that's why that's what I mean when I say, yeah, Google's trying to do stuff right now that Xbox is trying to do. So in that regards, they are more direct competitors. But PlayStation. Is 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 potentially potentially down the line a bigger threat if they decide to do it, which I think they would if it if this is where the trend continues. But it was the bit in his quote that really got me was the idea that Sony isn't well placed because it doesn't have the infrastructure. That was the real bit that made me go, it doesn't matter. He's, a, they do have the infrastructure. They have your infrastructure. <laughs> <And> second <laughs> of all, and second of all, if even if they didn't, they can easily you know it's not hard to get. It doesn't. You don't need all three components. of What I said before: the service, the um, uh the infrastructure and the um and the content in order to succeed in this you need you probably need the content and you probably you will need this you need a good service but um the infrastructure you can you know you can acquire
1: well you still have to like pay a premium on whatever you don't actually have yourself so I mm. mean, it, it makes more sense for if microsoft can can get all three pieces internally and and put it together it works for them a lot better than
2: oh if- yeah and i'm not questioning that i'm not questioning that xbox is position is really, in that space, in the cloud streaming space, they have, they have all the components internally, and that's really powerful. But as I, as I often well, point out with Netflix, you don't actually have to have all three internally in order to be the market leader. So it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, but they are in a good position.
0: It's also, when it comes to content as well, like I still feel like Xbox are on the back foot. You know, a lot mm. of their major offerings like Gears of War, uh, Halo, these are quite old. Sort of uh, franchises now getting a bit long in the tooth, not exactly the fun, new, exciting, you know, like, you know, Sony, for example, the 2018 Gears of um, God of War was one of the Best, most lauded games of I don't know how long. Um, It actually really restored my faith in like AAA games. Like I enjoyed it so much, I was that surprised. And like Spider-Man as well. And there's like their their first party catalog just feels so much stronger, so much fresher, and more like kind of inviting and invigorating. Whereas Xbox is like, hey, we got beefy space guy game 32 for you. Do 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 you still want it? And it's like. I don't know who some people do, but it's not exactly like the cutting edge. Like it's not them forging this bold new path where they've got the content that everyone wants. They've right. got a loyal, a loyal following.
1: I but, I agree with you that, that like, I agree with you that gears and halo feel mm-hmm. kind of like relics from a previous generation. But I mean, I would point out that God of war felt the exact same way until they released mm-hmm. the 2018 Reboot. So
0: yeah, that's a fair like, point.
1: Like you can salvage these things pretty quickly. And the 2018 God of War, I haven't actually played it, but I think it's safe to say it is a very, very different experience with a a Voice. different like core player fantasy, if you want to use that way of thinking about it. And yeah,
0: I mean, it it brought me to the brink of tears multiple times, which God, the original God of War trilogy certainly <laughs>
1: didn't do. <laughs> When he ripped off Perseus's head with his bare hands, I was just <laughs> was so beautiful, <laughs> so emotional. When I had to have a menage a trois with a friggin' quick Time QTE event button mashing, was like, I couldn't help it.
2: I, I do agree with you, Hayden. I mean, Xbox's, Xbox's first party lineup, particularly this last generation, has been, you know,
0: yeah, it's been that, it, hasn't it? It, it, like, started, CMP, it,
2: it started promising, and it started promising enough with like I remember Sunset Overdrive. But I love that game, and there was there was some stuff that was interesting that didn't really hit the mark, but you know it was interesting things like Rise, and they had the first Titanfall, didn't they? It was an exclusive. So they had some interesting stuff early doors, and then they sort of decided, then they sort of backed out of all that, and I did, and then they did the thing where they made studios sort of basically franchise studios, didn't they? Where they had until they close it, Linehead was a fable studio, Turn 10 only made Forza games, Coalition only made Gears games, People really make Halo games. And basically they only had Rare doing new IP. And it was it looks, you know, and I think I think that's something they've recognized. That's why they've bought all those studios, right? And they've not just bought those studios, they've bought their back catalogues. So they have they're, they're they're trying to to compensate for that. And I think interestingly actually what I think is interesting there is a lot of the studios they've bought are making games that are smaller scale and quicker. And I think this might be this might be interesting in the upcoming, assuming PlayStation do go down this route and they do put day and date in, PlayStation's games, they're so AAA. They take so long to make, even though they actually have the same number of studios, I think the two now, PlayStation Studios are almost all AAA studios making games that take four or five years to build. Whereas Xbox's studios, some of them are like that. And some of them are, turn, are studios that will turn out games, you know, Ninja Theory, what, two, two games or something like that already. And it's and it's and it, they're turning out games a lot faster. And, I think it will be interesting to see if if PlayStation will need to look at whether or not they need to look at that mid-tier game well, level.
0: I think um, you know st- streaming content in general definitely makes uh, the content itself more disposable like you've seen this in music with things like Spotify. Um, game streaming I think is going to go that same way I think it, and I think Microsoft recognized that which is why they're looking at smaller experiences that they can kind of get out a bit faster because I think obviously we're still going to have the big games as a service kind of monolith where people go in there and they stay in a game for like 15 years. Like I just returned to League of Legends for the first time after like four years. Like it's still, you know, games like that keep on bringing people back. But I think they also recognize that there's an element of disposability when you sort of enter the subscription space and you don't have to pay that upfront cost. And so short, easy to produce games or faster to produce games. There's definitely some legs there. Um, and that's why I think if Google and Microsoft ever sorry Google and Amazon sorry ever actually start <laughs> like kind of delivering on the content side it's go- it's going to be a lot of stuff like that like I don't think we're going to see big triple a games from those studios um or from those uh those yeah. platforms well
1: right, in and-
2: Google yeah, I guess a little bit though, and I did this in an article I wrote today with Google i don't even know if Google will play in that space, and this is the thing that I, it's not clear with them in that um. The reason why publishers and invest you know, excited about Stadia is because they can. It's the idea of unlocking new audiences. And I gave this example, and I was just arguing with somebody on Twitter about it. Um, if you're if you're someone that can't justify buying a console, so you're interested in Stadia instead, are you going to be able to justify subscribing to a service that gives you hundreds of games? Um, you might want to buy one game a year, maybe one game every two years. You know, it might just be. Everyone's talking about cyberpunk and I've I've not played a game in five years. I'd love to give this game a go. Oh, I can't buy a console, but hey, I'll play it on Stadia. That's where I think the interesting opportunity is. There's still barriers to entry with controllers and everything like that in the way. But I think that's where the interesting thing is. And Stadia seem to be, because they're focusing on full price games as opposed to, I know they do have a subscription offering, but it's not, it's not, it's more of a, I think they view that as a niche thing. I, I do wonder if, if Google really think, are thinking, we can't really compete with Xbox and PlayStation or Nintendo, even, and, and Nintendo aren't doing that. But if they were, we can't really compete in that space because we don't have the content, we don't have the back catalogue. But we can be that option for someone who's watching a YouTube video, of something they think they look cool, and they can just click through and play it. You know, I think if Stadia views themselves, I don't know, if Stadia, I don't know how they view it. Um, it we get a bit conflicting uh, uh, visions. You know, um, why publishers are excited about them may not be the same reason why they are banking on this, but. um uh, I, I sort of going to what you're saying is, you know, Google getting content and I, I yeah, I don't know if, I don't, again, I don't really know what, if Google, if Google are just going to try and unlock all those billions of people that don't play PC and console games t- currently, I don't know if exclusives are that important to them. It would be if they were trying to take on Game Pass.
0: I guess actually kind of the, the last final thing I'd like to say actually on this is um, Amazon Game Studios has been, I mean I don't really know what it's been. It's kind of been a bit of a non-entity which I was not expecting from it. I was expecting it to deliver more especially as we move into like sort of game streaming and stuff like that. But I think the only game they've released is like the Top Gear mobile game which has been good or the what whatever it's called. It's not Top Gear is it? Grand Tour, yeah. Grand Tour yeah. um mobile game which has been like I I think it's been successful. Um but, like they took on a lot of a lot of sort of like notable names and talents from the industry and kind of wound them up and set them going and just nothing has really happened, so I don't know if Amazon's sort of early attempts to contribute sort of content to this race uh, are gonna be more fruitful than they've currently been, but I think if it wants to have an actual an actual stake in this, it's gonna have to start delivering something soon, isn't it?
2: Hmm. I'd be interested to see if they wrap it up into Prime, right? Because Prime mm. is that thing. Well, I assume they would, but Prime is that thing where you know you get you know quicker deliveries, you get um, music, some music anyway, you get um, some TV and stuff, and whether you, then they get some games as well. I mean, I think that's an interesting model um, because it's sort of a full entertainment package. But you're right, I. Amazon's been this threat for the games console market or the games platform market for years and years and years. They just haven't, you haven't seen come to fruition.
1: Well, they've, they've done the thing with Prime before. I think, was it Amazon mm-hmm. Underground or something? Where if you're a Prime member, they were giving you a bunch of mobile games and some of them were, you know, free to play or whatever, but they would they would give you some in-game currency or something. There were There were perks for it. And they tried that for a little bit, and that didn't really work. They tried selling premium mobile games for a while. They made a few of those, and that didn't really work. And then they said, like, okay, we're going to try the AAA games. And they hired uh, Kim Swift, I think, and maybe Clint Hawking for a while. Yeah,
0: I I think so. There's definitely a lot of names which I certainly recognize as, like, oh, it's you.
1: Yeah, and then they all left. And yeah. the AAA games—they've announced one or two of them, uh, maybe three. But the, those—they've got like a MMO about colonization, which might not be the uh, the best idea. Yeah, for the, not for so the landscape. Sure about that. But, um, yeah, and it's just kind of been like they're there. They know games are important. I, Twitch has been good for them, but in, unless they can. I, I, I don't know, unless unless they can wrap Twitch up into whatever it is that they're trying to do in like a meaningful novel way. I I don't well, this- I don't expect much from them. I, I think of them as another giant company that could be a big player in games or could have been a big player in games, but didn't really have the the, you know, burn the boats behind you commitment to it. <laughs> the way Microsoft and Sony did when they first jumped into the console space. Interesting, you talk about Twitch, and this is actually the thing that Xbox doesn't have, that actually Google and Amazon do, And that Google
2: has YouTube. If it wants to take its Stadia games to a massive market, it can do that very quickly with YouTube. And if Amazon decided to do a Google and do a similar thing, they could do that quite quickly with Twitch. I mean, no offense to Mixer. Um, (laughs) Plenty (laughs) of offense to Mixer, I'm sorry. You can't just, it's, Chris. You're it's a big a fat scale. dumbhead,
1: and your mother is a woman of ill repute. No offense. <laughs> like that's not how it works.
2: It's it's not quite on the same scale, like you know. But it's interesting actually, because um, I I I play CFEs quite a bit. You might regular listeners will know that. Um, but um, I got a purple monkey in um in CfEs because of I'm an Amazon Prime subscriber, and that made me. And, and I was able to link my account, or you know, via the Twitch thing they were doing that CFES was doing. So that allowed me. That's the one thing that I managed to do with Amazon games was was that was that thing there. Yeah, I, I think with Twitch, Twitch is actually a powerful thing that Amazon's doing in games. It's not. I mean, they bought it, but and they and they, if, they, if they could, they could. The potential's there, but they don't have. Yeah, I, I I'm not entirely. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Brian. I'm not entirely they just seem like a no- we get this a lot right we always see a massive company whether it's a a, a, a google or a, or a nokia or even an apple that sort of go oh we're going to take on this that and the other well, actually they sort of end up doing it maybe in some way and we now have done it in the end via their mobile platforms but you know it's microsoft was a bit of the exception right? the big giant that says they're going to get involved in the games actually managed to stick it out and, and do it it's it's yeah, I mean, yeah, they've got to prove themselves. Not, just because they've got a lot of money and they've, got a lot of, um, uh, uh, and they've got a lot of technology doesn't make them a good fit.
1: In the last 10 years ago this month column, uh, one, of the, the, one of the articles that I went back to was a Screen Digest report talking about these giants that are getting into video games now. And it was Viacom and Disney and Warner Brothers. And because they were finally getting serious about games um the the smaller publishers like thq and the like would would have no place for them and they were a big threat for even the activisions and eas and viacom was gone from the industry within like a year because mtv games and rock band kind of collapsed so they washed their hands of it disney toyed around with it had some some success with Disney infinity. And then also just kind of backed out of development said, no, we're just going to license everything from now on. And Warner brothers has settled into a successful AAA publisher, but you know, just kind of like we'll do our mortal combat, our Lord of the rings, our Batman. And that's, we're good. We don't need I more like that. Idea. So it's, it's been kind of like Warner brothers. I look at as almost like a best case scenario. A lot of times when these, when these giant companies turn their eyes to games.
2: Yeah. Well, Paramount was another one, wasn't it? They did. They were, they were, I, I, I used to, I used to, the BBC used to say it all the time. We're taking it seriously. I think they're saying it again now. But, you know, <laughs> I've, heard, I've, I've written that story 10 times. Um, and it's, it's, they all, they all think they've got it. And then, it, then they, as soon as they hit any level of turbulence, they're out. Um, and Warner Brothers is the exception. I think that was only because they, they, they made some smart acquisitions. Um, including the mid, some of the Midway stuff, um, uh, but even then, Warner Brothers isn't actually having the greatest time of it because they have not released anything of note for a while. Their Lego games seem to have been slowing in sales, and, you know. So it's, it's so yeah, I, they're, that's they are a great example of all the studios Rock in and take down the the way oh, we're going That time Disney bought Turok of all games and, and split second, all that kind of stuff, and, and, and yeah, that lasted about a year um it's uh you know being successful in video games you know it doesn't just because you're a big company it requires commitment it requires content and it, and, it, and and that's the reason why i think a lot of us when we see googles and stuff going we know we're a little bit more we roll our eyes a little bit and say okay you've got it we'll see
0: So the next big fun story this week is uh, Dan Hauser leaving Rockstar after like a gajillion years at the company, making the most successful video game product of all time. Um, That was a bit of a surprise. Nobody really saw that one coming. But from what I understand, he'd actually been kind of on leave for, uh, what was it, about nine months or so beforehand? Just presumably sat there just raking in the red. Red Dead Redemption money.
1: Well, I mean, come on—the guy had been working hundred-hour weeks. You know, <laughs> yeah. He needs a break after that.
2: Yeah, fair enough. I'm sure um, all the other teams that did that as well were hour weeks. They got that. They got that nine-month uh, vacation.
0: <laughs> so it's—I uh, think—came it as a bit of a surprise. And uh, my the, my favourite take that I saw of this came from uh, a guy called Phil Hartup, who's a freelance game journalist. Uh, and he his his line was basically now that Dan Hauser has left, he'll probably reemerge in uh, you know a few years with like a small indie studio or something like that, and the GTA games will either kind of continue to be exactly the same or uh, terrible in new previously unforeseeable ways. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of interested to discuss what his departure what kind of impact that really has on the on the industry on rockstar i i kind of feel like gta is going to keep on being gta honestly and red dead will keep on being red dead like rockstar have a very distinctive style that they use and because they release games so few and far between that's a style that they can squeeze for quite a lot of uh quite a lot of money as it turns out so I th- I think Rockstar knows what they're doing at this point. They know how to make a grand open world epic full of garbage to do and grizzled men shooting at each other and growling. Like it's they d they've they've got a winning formula. I don't know if they necessarily need Dan Hauser to like put it together and check the equation, you know? Well, yeah, I mean Dan Hauser's
2: Dan Houser's a producer, right? And mm-hmm. I'm sure he might be a great producer, judging by crunch comments suggesting <laughs> yeah there's, probably, there's room, probably room for improvement. Um, but there are lots of great producers out there and i'm sure he has a bunch of them working underneath him who will be stepping into the breach and he's also a writer but you know he needs as he, as he said before he doesn't write on his own he writes part of the team and these games are made by hundreds upon hundreds of people who have been working on these games for you know, for years and years and years and years yeah dan Hauser leaving is an iconic moment i think rock star for the industry um where grand theft auto has helped shape and but I don't think I, I I don't really think it means anything because you you just there's, there's a studio full of incredibly talented people who will step into the bridge. I actually think Leslie Benzi, um, all those years ago, was perhaps a more significant departure because he was sort of one of the um, the, the technical people who was behind, um, uh, uh, you know what what Rockstar had done, which is one of the other things that we, you know gets talked about. Yeah, Rockstar Rockstar games are a technical accomplishment as much as they are a Narrative one, and and um you know, that's a so I, yeah, I think Dan Houser leaving is you know a, a big moment, but I don't think it's I don't think it puts right. I don't think Rockstar, any I, well, share price dropping seems like an over the top. It's not like it's it's not like um, Hideo Kojima, like right? he's, he's not some form of you know, he's not Hideo Kojima, is that thing where he's sort of involved in everything that the game does, and I'm sure Dan Houser is, you know, as a producer, but um, you know, there are other. That studio has been going that studio is massive and it's been going for years and, and and been doing lots of interesting things across multiple different countries and, and they've got they've got loads of great talent in them.
1: Yeah, I think I, I think know. as long as you just like keep the Scarface and the Goodfellas posters up in the GTA writers room, <laughs> you'll be fine. <laughs> just those yeah. are those are your guiding principles and just go for it.
2: I just hope I just hope we still get another bully um because uh, that's uh, i i it's been um he also you know he also did max Payne 3 let's not forget that that was you know i was a big fan of that um i, I also- don't know
1: if another bully's actually because like he wanted to do a bully sequel for the longest time right yeah and bully wasn't like it wasn't a rock star level hit you know it no, was no, you, no. you put it you put it there with like midnight club racing and table tennis <laughs> as maybe smugglers run as far as like, okay, well these are Rockstar, but we're we're probably not gonna be going back to those. And if, if Hauser's not there to say like to cash in some of the, you know, the the credibility and, and trust that he's built up over the years, then I don't I don't know if that gets made.
2: No, you're right. Well but interestingly though, with I've speak to a few studios at Rockstar I don't in this place but when you make, they're making games now, they make graphics, still in the top 10, still in the top five of sales charts. Their online game still has millions and millions of monthly active users spending a significant amount of money. And if, I, I mean, I'm sure they are making GTA 6, they must be. But if I was them, when, when do you decide to push GTA 6 out there? When, does, when is there an obligation to, when you've got something like that sort of turning you can get, let your creative teams just go off and do something else, you know, you, they, you know whether it's a, Red Dead Redemption obviously is a bigger brand, but you know why? Why do you feel obligated to um to do a sequel to something that's still you know selling the money, still delivering quality? You can now let your creative teams make something that isn't driving around in cars and shooting prostitutes. It's something you've into a different field, you know. You can drive around in tractors and shoot cows or something, you know. It's <laughs> a, you can you can. So I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think, uh, yeah, but that's a. I'm sure they are making GTA six. They'd be mad if
0: they're not. <clears throat> I, I think I think GTA six will release the day that GTA five is no longer in the top ten of the weekly retail charts <laughs> in the UK. Which I think is I think has maybe happened once in like the last six years where it hasn't been in the top ten. Yeah, so they're probably waiting for that. And that's that when they want to have stock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so they're just waiting for that second time, and then once it happens again, they're like, "Right, we need to hit the go button on this because, like, you know, it's no longer the best-selling game of all time every single week. So we need to make the next one.
1: It's inherited that uh, that throne from Wii Play, which got it from Mm. Mario Kart DS. (laughs) Those (laughs) those things were just they were disgusting ticks on the sales charts. (laughs) Every time they came out, I would say, "Oh, this again."
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the, and in, it's, the other game that's doing it at the moment is Mario Kart, right? Which is again also been in the top ten since it came out on Switch. Um, mm. It's that's another one where they talk. Everyone's like, well, "Isn't it about time of a new Mario Kart? Why would you do that?"
0: Just, it. <laughs>
2: just, it's not necessary. Um, get them, get them to make something weird and different, like you know. Anyway,
0: I mean, I, I would like to see what Rockstar does with a new idea that isn't just like grizzled men shooting at each other because you know these they do make incredibly detailed rich worlds but also they keep on just making gta and red dead redemption so eh. i'd also um... like i'd also like to see them do something that's not just like a big bloody open world game something that's like a more focused experience because there's clearly a lot of talent at rockstar but it's just i guess, I guess they know what works and you know take two or, or is it sorry? Is it Take Two or Two K or I can't, Take I can't. Two? Yeah. So Take Two call cool. probably call the shots from on high, just like well, we need the next big shooty bang oh, open world game. I don't.
2: So generally, I mean, so yeah, Take Two don't. Take Two let their developers do whatever the hell they like. And um, this is the weird thing about them, and it's quite nice about them as well. And it's the, re- it's the reason why you get people like Michael Corey and Ken Levine and stuff. Ken Levine can go, I'm going to close my entire studio and rebrand it. Um, <laughs> and Two K like, all right. Hangar 13, yeah. like we're going to open two extra studios in two different countries. And they're like, okay, sure. I mean, what I'd love to see, what I'd love to actually see from Rockstar is maybe, I don't know, some weird sort of um, spy type game set in 1970s Cold War, maybe call it something like Agent. That'd be a really good, uh, <laughs> that'd be a really good idea for a game. But um, uh, I wonder if that's <laughs> still
1: a PlayStation exclusive.
2: <laughs> it's, it's still coming out on PlayStation 3. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Sorry, for the record, I should probably state that, that Phil Hartup's hot take that I agreed with was uh, the next GTA is either going to be really good in strange new ways or really bad in entirely predictable ones, which I feel like he's probably on the money with that.
2: Yeah, that my weird. <laughs> um,
0: I guess kind of the, the other similar sort of news, although perhaps less, uh, I don't know. But yeah, let, less sort of uh, Titanic, I guess, is uh, Rod Ferguson leaving the coalition after... How long was he there, Chris? You spoke to... we well, didn't speak to him, did you? But you spoke to... Was it Matt Basie yeah. from Xbox? Yeah, it was
2: very interesting. You, you say that. It's, it's interesting with this because Rod Ferguson is a... Um, uh, uh, See, so Rod Ferguson's interesting because Rod Ferguson announced he's leaving the coalition and Microsoft set up an interview with us to sort of try and say it's all fine it's all fine <laughs> don't panic he's fine and i was a bit like okay um but i didn't realize how actually synonymous rod is with gears of war and that he's been there from the very start um, oh, right, right. And, um yeah he was there he was on the first gears of war he's worked on every single game in the series he did disappear briefly from um, epic and microsoft during the transition for gears of war and, and wandered mm. off to take two for a little bit and work on bioshock and got managed to save bioshock infinite and that's well, he got his reputation as the fixer, but, mm-hmm. um, um, but then, he, then he went back to Gears and he's been Mr. Gears. And so there is that thing where, you know, if you don't have that guy leading to, you know, drive Gears of War, because the thing is Gears of War is a franchise that's in trouble. Like, there's a guy, a, friend, a guy who works in our, in our office, actually. He used to edit um, a Xbox magazine. He said to me that whenever they put Gears of War on the cover, they might as well not not bothered making a magazine. Really? Nobody bought it. And that really showed you how far Gears Award had fallen in terms of popularity. Mm. Um, it was, it, it's, it's an eye. It was, and you saw, you know, we see the retail sales and stuff, and Gears 4 was really poor. And at that mm. point, Microsoft might have been tempted to go, you know what, we bought a dud here. But mm. they didn't. They, in 2003, 2018, they went, right, we're going to go big with Gears, mobile game for kids. Uh, we're going to do this uh, Gears pop, and then we're going to do this weird RTS game. It weird, but an RTS game called Gears Tactics. And then we're going to do Gears 5. It was like a big, concerted effort to relaunch the brand I guess, to widen it, to expand it out and um, interesting, I don't think any of those three games actually did that I think what did do it was putting it into Game Pass because suddenly, hey. loads of people that have just got a bit bored of Gears or haven't paid any attention since maybe Gears 2 or Gears 3, suddenly, you know, it's in their subscription service and they thought, oh, I might as well give that a go and the result of that was they had 3 million people in the first weekend for Gears.
1: I yeah, don't know but maintained. Gears but, 5 had to be different enough to appeal to people like I, I, if it were just another looks like Gears Four, looks like Gears Judgment or whatever, I, you know, I would have seen that and been like, eh, I'm not. Yeah, it's in Game Pass, sure, but I'm not even going to bother playing it. But when when you see this, like, oh, I'm surfing across the sand, and there's these this use of color that wasn't in previous Gears games, and there's a yeah. different protagonist, and and it sounds like they're actually trying to to do something different with the series, like. I, I think it's not just that it was in Game Pass. No, 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 and you're right. Gears Five did do other. Things.
2: They took away some of the accessible to certain people. They did things like they put a drone in it, which players can control a drone, so people that can sort drone of play. Is it.
0: Not fun to use, <laughs>
2: is, is it not? Matt Matt, Matt Matt Booty called it out in his uh, in his uh, uh, in our interview to sort of say it's the thing that um, uh, worked for him, but but it, it, it so the the gears um so with so yeah it wasn't you are right but that's a bit unfair but i think game pass removed the friction right yeah yeah. it lowers the
1: barrier for someone to say like okay now i'm interested enough to try it yeah um and i i think and you know i don't three million players in a weekend is
2: actually so gears of war's peak um i don't think it sold anywhere near its peak if you look at the retail sales in the UK, anyway really low it was like the lowest it was lower than like you'd expect from a just dance or something but it was, um, but it was, but obviously it got a lot of people in through Game parts I think, mean, and they did quite well for it, and um, and, um, so, yeah, and so yeah, so clearly it's a big deal to lose them. They don't have for him either. Um, they say they've got a great leadership team internally. Um, uh, they don't, you know, they, and obviously, but at the same time, you you know, I think it's good news for Blizzard. I think having somebody like that and Diablo is a good, it's probably a good fit. Uh, but. um so it's actually a big thing, I think. I think you know, at least you know Dan Houser was synonymous with GTA, but then so was Sam Houser, right? So there are still some of that original there, and I think Rod leaving is for Gears of War fans is um, it might sound more worrying, um, but I'm sure it isn't. And you know, Matt Booty was out there to sort of say, look, it's fine. Gears Tactics is being made by Slash Damage. It's pretty much finished. It's got well, its content complete, so you don't really need Rod anymore. Um, we've got loads of DLC happening. In Gears Five, and then we'll see what the future holds. and um,
0: The 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 thing with like Rod leaving Gears though is that Gears is unlike GTA. They've put out a a substantial number of games in the last couple of years. Like you know, in just the last ten years, Gears Three, Gears Judgment, Gears Four, Gears Five. And I I played a bit of Gears Five, and I I just couldn't be arsed with it, honestly. Like it was just like, oh, it's just it's kind of more Gears, and they're trying to put more of an angle on kind of characters, but. Neither the characters or the tensions are particularly interesting or unique or different, and so I don't know. Maybe actually, with Rod, who has been, you know, gears of war since the very beginning, maybe actually kind of what they need is someone to leave, or oh, so, sorry, for him to leave, and then to give it the old god of war treatment, like we were saying earlier, with like a with like a fresh new producer and director with like interesting new ideas about how to kind of maintain like what's fun about the brand, which is, you know, dudes with chainsaw guns mowing down like the aliens, but actually kind of give it more of like a heart, which is what God of War did. It's, you know, the fun thing about God of War is like, you got a big axe and you kill big monsters, but it's got like this, it's got this real kind of like heart to it, this real kind of like emotional core that you can actually, surprisingly, like I said earlier, like really connect with. So, and Gears 5 felt like a very sort of like drive by attempt at making characters really compelling.
1: As as interesting as it is to like think about what happens with gears, I think like where he's headed is really really interesting as well. Like because Ferguson's got a reputation as a closer, right? Like with Bioshock Infinite, they got him to come into a very uh, troubled development cycle by most accounts. Like they had they they had that great E three trailer that that kind of revealed a whole bunch of gameplay. But then, if if you actually stopped and thought about it for a second, it's like, okay, well, how is this supposed to work? This is—I I think there was even like uh, when I was working for GameSpot at the time, there was an editorial about how much that was just smoke and mirrors, and it was like clear to people looking like, okay, you're trying to make us think this is, but it just wasn't coming together from from all all reports, you know, behind the scenes, and then they brought in Ferguson to just say, okay, well. Here's what we need to do to get this out the door, and and that's kind of like what a closer or someone with that reputation would do, anyways. Blizzard is like that is not the Blizzard of old. That is not the Blizzard way of doing things at all, and it hasn't been. But with all the, you know, the the reports from Kotaku about the the sort of change in corporate culture at, at Blizzard. Um, and Activision kind of getting its hands a little bit uh, more involved in that side of the business or trying to take a more Activision-like approach. Do you want that on on your Blizzard games now? I mean, Diablo 4, will probably, it'll probably get finished in a reasonable amount of time and get out the door. But will it still be, you know, what people expect from a Blizzard game? I think you have to be,
2: I mean, we talk about, you so yeah, they use the word the fixer, don't they, with Rod? and. BioShock Infinite was was a game that clearly suffered major feature creep issues. Stuff that wasn't happening. The game had been development for an extra, you know, a year longer than it was supposed to be. And then suddenly they go, right, we need someone in to get to. And he just came in. He said, right, this stuff isn't working. This bit isn't working. This is never going to happen. Cut that off the plan. Right, let, this is the good stuff. Let's get this out the door. And let's be honest, BioShock Infinite. I, mean, I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't love it as much as the other games. Um, but it did really well, critically well, and commercially well. It was a, it was a success. And you know. So I, I and mean, you look at and whether or not I'm not a big fan of gears, but I think broadly speaking the games have been okay. Even if the ones that you know Hayden doesn't like or you know <laughs> the, but you know but it, they've been broadly okay and it's and it's um and you, you know the games are good. I think I think you're right. I think if anything though, in a world where we're trying to avoid sort of crunch and all this kind of stuff, I think someone like Rod sounds like the sort of person you need. You know, somebody who will stop you from stop game because game developers will chuck everything in a game, right? Let's put this in. Let's put this in. And at one point you need someone to go, yeah, okay this is what this you know to be organized and sort of leave stuff on the cutting room floor and stuff and yeah blizzard may not have been historically that company and they may have happily let games be in development to buy you know for decades whatever as they as they try and work out what the fun is and and that kind of stuff and but you know maybe that's not how games maybe you i maybe that's not how games are i don't i don't know i don't know if diablo is a Uninspired and it's and it's more of the same and it doesn't have much innovation. In it. Sure, but I, I'm sure that wouldn't be the case. I'm sure it'll just be a little bit more organised and maybe maybe people will get a little bit more content more frequently as opposed to letting development uh, drag on for, for years and years.
1: So if it were Nintendo that that hired Ferguson, would you would you feel the same? Hmm, it's a good
2: question, isn't it? I mean, because Nintendo are renowned for a lot of people like it's whatever. Happened in four Miyamoto said it was nearly done like a year two years ago and where is it now and I, I can guarantee you sort of got to it and went yeah let's not do that anymore they <laughs> just move people onto something else nintendo behave like do they, they they develop stuff for years and years and years and years and sometimes they don't even release them they just use the tech in something completely different you know down the line and yeah it's it's but yeah i'm not sure um i think certain games could do with a i think metroid prime probably could have done could have done with rod ferguson on it right um um but um yeah yeah is there is something to be said for it i mean if it's to, get to game developers like a valve and a blitz and a nintendo and you spend all these years and years and years and the, the thing that finally comes out down the line is a is is a masterpiece and yeah you're right maybe with activision now and the need for that that division to start washing its face a little bit more um the That, yeah, you might see more from Blizzard, but perhaps you won't see quite so many, you know, classics uh, that have changed the face of games.
0: Okay, then, sort of closing out this week's podcast, uh, some interesting comments from Cliff Blazinski this week about uh, why lawbreakers didn't succeed. Brendan, you wrote this story. Do you want to uh, kind of help? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry.
1: So he he had a post on Instagram of like the the boss key productions a sign they had at the studio that I guess he had just brought back into his house and and he was getting sort of like reflective of his time there and thinking about oh I think a lot about what, what I could have done different and he came up with three uh, three things pivot hard when the juggernaut of overwatch was announced Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one was been less nice with my design ideas and more of a dictator with them. Which I think is not not a great look because it suggests that, you know, I should have just pushed my ideas instead of listen to my dumb staff more. Um, and also in general, like, I should have been more of a dictator is, is maybe not a, a great uh, takeaway for anything. And... The, the last thing, though, he said, one big epiphany I had was that I pushed my own personal political beliefs in a world that was increasingly divided. Instead of the story being, this game looks neat, it became, this is the game with the woke bro trying to push his hacky politics on us with gender-neutral bathrooms. And he goes on like that. And and I just... The thing that, that gets me about this isn't isn't so much that, like, there, there were a lot of headlines about this saying that he said the game was too woke for when that was it it, it was just kind of like if if these are your your beliefs and you care about them you're probably not going to regret acting in accordance with them right Mm. and he and he says it's okay to be political when your company or studio is established for great product first but we were unproven and i regret doing it and i mean it bothers me because it's like you you believe this stuff sure and I, i can trust that he does but it's just he believes in other things more apparently and and that's that was just like it's a bit of a bummer to have someone take take these like oh so these are things that i believe and then throw it under the bus like the reason this game failed is because i i dared to say what i believe i mean what what evidence
0: is there of him saying what he believes in this instance Though, like what is it about lawbreakers that he says is too woke is it like character design is it i mean it's like it was a third person shooter moba right
1: yeah so he said this is the the studio with the ceo who refuses to make his female characters sexier or white dude shoehorns diversity in the game and then smells his own smug farts and in interviews were the two like yeah. critical quotes that right. he mentioned I,
2: so i took i took his comments so i think i think starters you know, should have pivoted hard when we when overwatch happened yeah should have made a different game um <laughs> uh, completely you know it's like you had been steamrolled by the competition that's the reason why it failed um uh, the second thing he, he says is being a dictator really bad wording if he means something like maybe we shouldn't have designed quite so much by committee um you know perhaps we they should have been a bit more forceful on some of the ideas we should have committed to things we weren't sure about a bit more yeah sure i mean whatever that that's that can be that can be true um but i mean using the word dictator is, is not it's not it's not a great language i know lots of people do it these days like people say you need to be more of a dictator and well, you don't really want to be a dictator but yeah you might want to be a little bit more forceful with your leadership sure whatever <coughs> but that's something different the third thing though and he actually, clipped it. I love your piece, Brendan, because you called out a comment he said before when somebody clearly suggested to him that him putting pushing his political views is why the game failed. And he said, oh, I don't think most people know who I am. You know, like, um, you know, it's only the people on the internet, the small group of people know who I am. and might get angry about it. Most people don't give a shit what my political views are. And that's I think that's true. I don't, I don't really think there are that actually that many people that was... Because I think he, I don't think the game was actually that woke at all. I think what was woke was was Cliff. I think he was being very, you know, he was being very liberal, and he was discussing politics and interviews and that kind of stuff. And and I think what he was saying, I mean, I don't know if it is or isn't, but I get a got from what he was saying it was his PR promoting how what he, how he was talking, which was putting off um put off some games, and it might have put off some gamers, but I don't <laughs> I don't think it was going to make a fundamentally massive um difference to the performance of the of the game i mean the game if, 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 if it was completely political neutral i don't think the game suddenly would have been a success it was um it, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't i mean it's interesting because obviously big triple a companies follow a similar thing at the moment they're trying to say that their games aren't political they clearly are they clearly are saying that you know was a, there's a game coming out set in post-apocalyptic brexit britain right you know so it's like, how is that not political but they say oh no we're not being political you clearly are but the ubisoft obviously don't want to look that way because then it might put off you know put off a certain group of people from buying the game and I, I can i, I, I can understand I, that pr concern but i don't yeah i don't think i do not
1: i want to say with watchdogs with watchdogs legion clint hawking the creative director of the game is being pretty clear um and not not really towing the ubisoft line about politics and messages in games so but but the the point ubisoft has been for for a while one of the the most allergic to the idea of politics or meaning in their games um and the the, the Blasinski the the quote you mentioned about how like no one knows who i am or cares what i say that was taken from an interview james Batchelor did for us like two months after Lawbreakers came out and was already sort of like, it, it, it was what went wrong with the Lawbreakers launch was kind of the premise of the article. So it was it was really established right off the bat that the game stumbled. And that article has the Blasinski and his uh, Boss key co-founder just talking about a whole bunch of things that seem to have gone wrong, uh, like media negativity. It became kind of a narrative that the game flopped. And then people would just be like, oh, here's more evidence that the game flopped. Ha ha ha. And dogpiling like that. Um, they, they thought maybe the game was too hardcore. Lots of complexity for skilled players, but not enough of an on-ramp to bring new people on and let them know, here's how you play it right. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they talked about setting player expectations because people saw like, okay, it looks like a AAA game. So now we expect all of the, the features and support and everything that a AAA game would have all this all these excuses all these reasons many of them quite possibly legitimate and it it just it bothers me that he looks back on this years later and and sees you know boils it down to these three things which you know maybe they they play roles but then to just really kind of focus on the one like i i spoke up i i had opinions about things going on in the world around me that i think was that i think are important and you know that was what i regret Mm. like that of all of all the stuff to to regret like i don't know
2: yeah i mean yeah and you don't you know i don't i I think i think yeah you're right i mean it's i'm sure he's still i mean it's clear to me still looking for he's clearly still very saddened by what happened right and He's um and he's looking for meaning and reason and trying to sort of justification and answers as to why his game failed. But the truth is, his game came out in a marketplace that was, you know, full of competing products that were bigger, better, um, high, with bigger marketing budgets. Is I think, if you, and you know, some people try and look at minute details. Oh, it was a bit too complicated. Oh, it was. Oh, the media were a little bit negative at times. Or, or oh, um, I made people say. Oh, being a bit, I said some political things that pissed people off. The reality is the big thing was the reason why it went the reason why it went wrong you launched a game in a marketplace full of similar um yeah, and but, you didn't have, you didn't have the capacity the ability the funding the the publisher whatever to make it bigger there's a um, rough timing and, yeah and it's sometimes unfortunate like that and it's, it, you know yes there may have been other reasons that didn't help but they wouldn't they're not that <laughs> they wouldn't have made up for it
0: yeah, no, I, I, to to even kind of imply, I think that him not making his female character sexy enough has got anything to do with it is just, like, I don't want to say it's bafflingly stupid, but it is kind of bafflingly stupid. Like, I just, I just, I don't know what you could possibly, like, evidence you can possibly base that on other than, like, maybe a few people getting shitty with you on the internet. But, I mean, spoiler alert, 90% of the internet is people being shitty to each other. So, I I'm just not convinced at all that him being like, yeah, I, I won't put like Boobs McGee on the front page of everything that I do. Like, I don't, that's, I don't think that's a thing that stops people from, not a thing that stops a substantial number of people anyway from playing a game. Uh, whereas like a little bit of diversity might more, more, I would say more likely to make people kind of tune in because it's like, oh, hey, that character looks like someone I might find relatable. And like uh, yeah. Overwatch as well is a is a very diverse game, and they've really like pinned a lot on its diversity. And League of Legends similarly as well has started like introducing like gay characters and non-binary characters and things like that. Like it's it's pretty it's pretty par for the course these days to have stuff like that. If anything, not having it is what gets you the backlash, what attracts you yeah. like, the negative press. So I just I just don't buy it at all. I think no. it. I think he's looking for an excuse, and it kind of, if anything, it makes me think that, like, he just never really believed in that stuff anyway. And
2: he wasn't like he was saying that he was going to add, he was going to suddenly put Skadly people in his games or anything like that. I, I took it as being maybe if I hadn't have made such a public show of it. And, you know, but I, but I disagree with that because I think Randy Pitchford was quite a divisive figure last year. And that didn't stop <laughs> being a massive hit. So I'm not entirely sure that being a divisive figure really has that much of an eventual mm. impact. on, You know, Pokemon Sword and Shield was a divisive game and it went mm. on to sell 16 million copies in about a month.
0: Another good example I saw as well is um, Disco Elysium, uh, which was phenomenally successful last year. Just, you know, a little indie game. One of the most like overtly political games to have come out in a very long time. Uh the developers spoke very openly about like a sort of political inclinations. I think uh I believe they thanked like Marx and Engels during an acceptance speech for an award, if I recall. Um, like, you know, they're they're a political group of people and they wear their colours on their, you know, they wear their heart on their sleeve with that. And that hasn't affected the game at all. Like it's if anything, it's helped it find an audience of people who want that because there is a dearth of things like that. So I do ultimately think it comes down to like, you know, Overwatch releasing at the same time is, is pretty bad. I think that's, out of anything, that's going to be the thing that sinks you. And then I was just watching a little bit of gameplay footage for the game and honestly it just doesn't it just doesn't look that good. <laughs> just just looks a bit like a weird cross between Halo and Overwatch and yeah, it's just I don't know. I kind of see why maybe it didn't take off and wasn't a massive hit. I think it's often the the answer to like questions like this is generally, you know, it's Occam's razor, isn't it? It's like what's what's the most obvious reason that it failed? It's it's probably that. It's not some sort of misguided comments or or whatever comments it was that that Cliff Blazinski made in an interview to a random website that like a couple of thousand people read
2: that sounds like a
0: perfect ending I think it is the perfect ending Um, well again my my hosting style is a lot less smooth than James and Rebecca's but I mean anyone who listens to the podcast regularly knows that you can go to the website gamesindustry.biz it's a great website I hear, got loads of really lovely interesting pieces written by lovely interesting people on there Um, and yeah you can get the podcast on all the good podcasting apps which I imagine you probably already know because you're listening to it, so with that
1: Goodbye. Get out of here.